I just want to thank um, everyone who uh, sent me little texts and everything last week. They were praying for me. I really appreciate it. I just, last week, I just felt like I was up against something and I didn't know what it was. I am really thankful for our intercessors because uh, I really realized, like the story in the Bible with Moses having Aaron and her hold up his hands, that there was just like a supernatural strengthening. And I am just a human being like everyone else, and I really need prayer. I need that support, and I'm so thankful for my wife that she's prophetic, and she hears God, and, you know, she carried a message last week. But uh, I just want to thank you. And Irene, Irene, I mean, I was sitting in the prayer room quietly last week, and she knew that I needed prayer. And I told her today, I am so grateful for you, Irene, because... It just shows me that when you are in need and you're in the body of Christ, you're in a local church and you've got your roots down, that there are people that have spiritual sensitivity and they pray and they know and you don't even have to say anything to them. It just made me last week. In fact, I told someone on the phone who was struggling and I said, I am so thankful for the local church because in the local church, you build a bond with people who have a commitment to be in that local church and they put their roots down and they join with you and they become part of your family and you have your gifts get strong in each person and there's that interaction where we're we able to draw. And I, I thank God today that I was so weak last, last week where I couldn't really even give a message. But look out, because I'm hot today. You know, the Bible says if one is weak, you know, someone can come and lift them up. And I just uh, really experienced that. And, you know, we all, because of our relationship with the Lord, we want to be strong. And I think we, we kind of pride ourselves in, you know, hey, I got this with you and me, God, and, and, and I can do this. But it just made me aware of how much uh, I need people and I need to be a part of a body. And I'm so thankful that this is the body. My message title today is become a disciple and make disciples of Jesus. When you look at the Bible and you see what God wanted in his greatest will that Jesus said was to make disciples, that his biggest thing is becoming a disciple. I want to talk a little bit about it. I'm going to read some definitions of that. But uh, my prayer today is that something will keep happening for all of us as we grow as disciples of Christ. And Maya, you are the best. You are tracking in the Spirit. Our key verse today is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus commands all Christians to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, when Jesus gives us a command, it's not optional. It means this is something he wants us to do. You know, we have different times. We have our bosses want us to do something, and maybe we kind of wrestle or struggle against it, or, you know, sometimes we start doing something, we know it's a priority, and we get distracted. When Jesus tells us something like this, it's for a purpose. And if we realize that God calls us to a purpose, then there's an ongoing fulfillment, there's an ongoing motivation uh, to live our lives. And there's a a place where we're constantly strengthened, like even last week, being knocked down, feeling like I was just down and out of it. You know, God gets us back up again. Why? Because he has a purpose. He has something that we're to do as his disciples and as his followers. You think of an assignment, you know, as, as that message about going in and spreading the gospel, making disciples. It's a task. It's a work of his will. It's a responsibility. 
And like what Maya said too, it's like God is good, but I think sometimes when we understand or when we look at the context of, of a commandment or someone telling us to do something, maybe it's even our boss, you know, our natural rebellion that's inside of us when someone asks us to do something. Even in our marriages, husband or wife asks us to do something in that natural, I don't want to do that. It's that old nature, it's that old rebellious attitude that we have that comes against a, a command. And so when we look at even the word disciple, it can just bring up all kinds of feelings. Oh, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't know if I can trust you, Jesus. Well, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do everything you want me to do. But if we can understand who is asking us to be a follower of him, and when we look at who Jesus was and what he did for us, and especially when we embrace this relationship that's offered to us um, through Jesus Christ, that we begin to understand that when someone asks us to do something like Jesus, there's a want to that comes with it. The definition of the disciple from the Encarta Dictionary. A member of the disciples of Christ. Somebody who believes in and follows the teachings of a leader, a philosophy, or religion. On Wednesday nights, we started our series about the doctrines of the Bible. And doctrine is that big religious word or Bible word, which really means the truth. The truth of what God brings us in his word, your Bible, whether it's like this or on your iPhone or iPad or whatever you're carrying. The word of God has truths in it that teach us what God wants. And it teaches how to adapt and change our lives in the way we can or show us where we can't so we can depend on the Holy Spirit to bring transformation and change in our lives. And so as we're going through learning doctrines of the Bible on Wednesday nights, it kind of goes along with what we're talking about today, about being a disciple, becoming a disciple, so that we can grow up and be those who make disciples, who follow Jesus. Uh, The definition from the Strong's, out of the Greek, meaning to learn, thought with effort, put forth. A disciple is a learner, one who follows both the teachings and the teacher. The word is used first of the twelve and later of Christians generally. Right along with disciple is follow. How many of you like to follow? Anybody? Anybody like to follow? Let me put my hand up. I love to follow. (laughs) You know why? Because the way my temperament and personality is, it's easier to follow than to be the person making the decisions, getting everything thrown at them, getting all the complaints, getting all the anger, you know? So being a follower is really a blessed thing. And I know some of you have really strong personalities and some of you are take-charge people. And if, you don't t- if someone doesn't take charge, you will take charge. But having the ability to follow Jesus, even if you have a type A personality and you're a strong leader, learning to follow Jesus will benefit you more than anything else. Because in your big head, your big personality, you can be shipwrecked somewhere if you're not following Jesus. And if you're like me and you're just floundering and you're not following someone like Jesus, you could miss out the purposes in your life. You could be unfruitful, uh, just floundering. You could just be sitting on, at, on the TV, by the TV, watching John Wayne movies. <laughs> no matter how many hundreds of times you've watched them, that's all you do. I tell you, if I didn't follow Jesus, I would just simply want to work, have my family, come home, eat my dinner, and watch those kind of good old movies. But God doesn't have that for us. He calls us to be a follower of him. So that means even if you're like me, 
you're going to find out that God's going to draw you into something that's going to use you in a way that's going to profit his kingdom and his purposes that'll help the making of disciples. So let me give you the definition of follow out of the Strong's. To accompany, go along with, go the same way with, follow one who proceeds, in union with. The root word means road. So to follow means to be on the same roadway with someone. Follow was used with soldiers, servants, and pupils. So it transfers to the life of a Christian. I think follow is really hard too. Because if you have any kind of an idea what you want in life, you kind of don't want to necessarily follow someone else, even Jesus. Why? Because in our life, in our world, with our five senses, with the media, everyone's asking us to follow a certain way, eat a certain food, uh, drink a certain drink, drive a certain car, dress a certain way. But as we know how trends and things change, you know, if we're following someone, the, the, the fads, the, the trends are going to change and we're going to be wearing something different again or, or having to find a, a new person that we want to follow because of the way they dress. And so following has so many different aspects to us and that, that affect us. And so learning how to follow Jesus and not follow the world, it's probably a daily uh, battle because we've got to get it from God how we're supposed to follow and who we're supposed to follow. Everybody wants us to follow something. Disciples follow Jesus. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Again, it's talking about that interaction. When uh, you know, Jerry talked son, uh, Wednesday about re- being born again, and we all went through the, uh, you know, about whether we're going to go to heaven or not, that there was that foundation laid that we go to heaven because we received Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross because of our sins, and his blood was shed to pay the penalty of all of our sins. And now the whole world, if they'll receive Jesus, everyone could go to heaven. But at that place where we receive Jesus is the beginning point for discipleship. It's the place where Maya referred to, you know, we start, but then other options. Well, what does it mean? Do I have to keep following? following you know, And uh, that reference to the rich young ruler, it's when he rejected Jesus, it said he went away sorrowful. And up to that point, he was so excited with his riches. He was excited about how he was tracking righteously with God. But at that point where he didn't go on to follow Jesus as a disciple, it says he went away sad. That's scary. Those who follow Jesus receive more than they give up. And that's probably something, a working out of the discipleship process. We don't always feel like we are getting the best of the deal when we're following Jesus. Yes, when we feel the feelings, we feel the love, you know, we have a promise of eternal life, heaven seems to be open to us, we see a few miracles, that's great. But when we have to start making decisions that counter the way we've lived or change some of the habit patterns and things that we've done, we start waffling on, well, is this really the best decision? Am I really, did I really make a rational decision? Did I really experience Jesus asking me to follow him? And then our mind starts, which can be really a problem for us, starts uh, eroding all what we just did. Serving Jesus. A disciple serves one who is greater. In John 12, 26, Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. 
And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That's a big thing. I think our old nature, I know my old nature, even though one of my gifts is serving, I don't always want to serve, especially in my home. I don't always want to serve my wife. It really grips us when you, when you look at following Jesus is about serving him. And I think there's moments where we connect with Jesus and we feel so overwhelmed by his love or we feel the greatness of something he's just forgiven us for or an answer to prayer. In the moment, we are overwhelmed with a humility and a desire to serve. But we are constantly fighting against our old flesh and our old nature that doesn't want to serve. It wants to be served. How many of you guys come home from work and if you're blessed to have a wife... You want her to serve you. And she might have been taking care of the kids all day or working her own job, and you, you kind of have expectations. Sometimes you get a little irritated. And maybe she's been there taking care of the kids, and she's waiting for a rescue. She needs someone to take on the, the relational, emotional aspect because she's poured it all into the kids all day. Or she's handled a half a million other problems. And so that place of serving uh, really comes to a place where it has a new reality. And so Jesus talks to us about serving. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And again, when we decide we're going to keep taking those steps as growing in this place of discipleship and following Jesus, that we're going to serve. And you may serve for a while, but in the process of serving Jesus and loving Jesus and uh, doing the things that he wants, you'll find that God honors you. God will honor you for service. God will, will take care of you. You'll, you'll get moments where, wow, this is so humbling that, that God, you're honoring me. But it's a promise that, that Jesus makes come true. You know, in the very beginning in Genesis, um, God had some disciples, had some followers. In Genesis 6, 6 and 7, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I made them. You know, in all this mess, when God had created man and Adam and Eve had sinned and they plunged the whole world into sin, the world starts getting pretty ugly pretty fast. And all kinds of wickedness and sin and perversion and uh, every kind of evil takes over and God is so grieved at, at man's waywardness and drifting from him that he is so sorry that he even made man. But it's interesting that in the heart of God, there are people also who, who do decide they are not going to follow the ways of the world. They're not going to follow the crowd and they have a heart to follow God. And Genesis 6, 8 talks about Noah, that Noah pleased God. One person in creation finds favor. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you thankful? One person. You know, today, there might be places that you're turning today. There are places you're saying, you know what, God, I've been running from you. I've been disobedient, and it's another step in my discipleship. Will you forgive me? I want to follow you. 
God's going to be so happy. Why? Because he's got so much for you. He's got so much. But unless you decide, I'm going to keep following, you're going to miss out. And you're going to be kind of semi-satisfied in life, but never finding your ultimate purpose, never finding a greater source of joy and happiness in serving God. So Noah took advantage of God's grace. I say Noah was one of the first disciples. Genesis 6, 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. God confides in those he favors with his grace. Those who decide to follow him, God is going to confide in them. God's going to show friendship. God's going to reveal himself. In Genesis 6.13, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come. Has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through, through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Wow, that's pretty heavy. But Noah, he got an assignment. Those followers of God, followers of Jesus, just like Jesus' disciples, just like us, we receive assignments from God. In Genesis 6.14, God says to Noah, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Again, as a follower, as a disciple, I think Noah, when he started building that boat, I don't think he thought he was doing some great thing. Maybe he did. But he didn't see the results or the fruit of what he was doing until the flood began, until the flood was over. And he saw the results of what was left because he had built that ark, because he was obedient to what God wanted him to do. Followers, disciples, obey God. In Genesis 22, Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. In uh, 2 Peter 2.5, Noah preached a salvation message. Maybe it was one of the first salvation messages preached. He began to warn people of an impending flood. How did he warn them? By being obedient and building an ark. His lifestyle represented his discipleship. A lot of times, our lifestyle will speak more of a discipleship message than anything we could say. In 2 Peter 2.5, God saved Noah, one of eight persons, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah, at 500 years of age, he, that during that year, he got the message about the flood. When he was 600 years old, the flood began. That's a long time. That's a long time to have your discipleship message being mocked by people. People can scoff, you know. Why are you wasting your time going to church? Why are you getting involved in ministry? Why are you giving up your money? Why are you tithing? What's wrong with you? You could buy a new car. You could buy some more videos. You could take some more vacations. Why are you doing that? What's wrong with you? You've been doing it for 30 years. You've been a Christian for 40 years. You've been in church for 50 years. What is wrong with you? Can you imagine all the hours you wasted listening to some guy making noise on Sunday? 
it's a reality that does not really play out until maybe more things are done in our life, until we become the disciples that God wants us to be. And the power of God flows in our life and the message flows into other people's lives that makes disciples out of them. I have a real prophetic word, and, and, and I think it comes uh, for our church and your families today. Salvation over our house. The day rain of the great flood started in Genesis 7.13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Remember, the ark is the holding place. It's the place of salvation. The ark is a representation of the local church, of the place where God holds you in this process of growing and maturing, and it keeps you safe from the world because there's safety and security, and there's covering, and there's protection, and there's a place to get clear thinking and to have your heart healed and restored because out in the world on your own, you cannot get healed on your own. Noah became a covering and the ark a sanctuary for those being saved. God extends his invitation over households. It's not just about us individually, but it's our household. It's our families. And maybe you say today, you know, I've got my families all kind of split up or different places and they're gone. And maybe you've come to the Lord later in your life and maybe you've made some mistakes. But I tell you, God wants to save your household, your relatives, those close acquaintances that are around you, those new friends that you've made, those friends that you have not yet made that are unsaved. God wants a household to be saved. He doesn't just want to save one person. He wants a house full of people saved. He has a bigger plan than our plan. He has a bigger priority than our limited plan. A, house, a household definition out of the Hebrew. House, household, family, clan, temple, building, God is rebuilding our experience of family in the local church. Home can refer to a dwelling or a family. Genesis 7.1, The Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You don't understand if you're a head of a household, maybe you're a single parent, a single mom, single dad, you're head over your household. You represent salvation to your household. So as you see God, as you put God first, as you let God search your heart and you put things right in order, you become a household representative that God breaks through spiritually and He saves people under you. You become a covering for your family as you pray for them. And as they're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe in your God. I don't want any more part of you. You become one who stands like, like uh, Noah did and all the people through the Bible to represent a household where people can get saved and changed and have a different life. Now Noah was righteous. Noah took advantage of grace by obeying. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. We know that Jesus is coming back. He could come back in our lifetime. He could back, come back a hundred years from now. But we are to stand like Noah stand and build build our families, build our spiritual lives, build in righteousness, do what's right, because there's a great influence that we have. We only have this one shot as we live life in this time. Are we going to affect our family for righteousness? Are we going to affect those around us for eternity? Are we going to save them from the oncoming flood? 
when God pours out judgment on this earth in the last days. It can be seeming very melodramatic right now. But it's a reality. The earth is going to come to an end. Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom on the earth. Our job is to follow Jesus and make disciples. When Noah did what he did, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. How did he condemn the world? By being a lifestyle example of obedience to God. Another example in Acts 11, Cornelius' house. Peter recounts Cornelius' family and friends' salvation in Acts 11, 13-15. And Cornelius told us how he has sent an angel standing in his house and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and upon all of upon us like at the beginning like when like when Pentecost happened the gospel message is the power of God to salvation we can't save anyone but it's that ongoing moment by moment salvation message what is that salvation salvation message Jesus Christ has come the son of God has come and he's made a stand he's made a stand to save the world for eternity he's made a stand to bring god back into our lives and that salvation message that it's powerful the message of jesus christ daily in our life is the power that's going to change our life it's the power that's going to renew our mind it's the power that's going to change our thinking it's the power that's going to change our thoughts it's the power that's going to change our actions because it breaks in and and pushes aside our old nature and all mind because it resonates deep in our heart and it causes something to grow and become so big in us it changes the way we think we come to the sometimes we'll make a decision no i cannot do this anymore i cannot sin anymore maybe some of you are struggling with different habit patterns maybe some of you have smoked and and quit and started again i tell you god wants to break these habit patterns that are are bringing shame and condemnation that that have a hold on you god wants to bring a freedom upon you that you do not even understand and that's the power of the gospel message that's the power that we have as disciples in our life it's the power that changes lives zacchaeus in luke 19 5 Jesus said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus wants to be bigger in your house. And I know part of my own problem this last week, getting so busy with God's work, I kind of got weakened in my own receiving. Because you can give it out a lot faster than you can take it in. And I had to go back to just receiving again. Oh God, here's all the problems. Here's all the people's needs. Here's all the things that have to happen on the hillside. Here's all of our needs. I don't care about those needs. I want you to receive from me. I want you to sit in my presence. I want you to just receive. That's hard for me. When you're a disciple and you get a, you get a message and you get a call, but it shows, so shows that we can't, he, God doesn't care about the work as much as where our hearts at. Are we drinking from him? Are we receiving from him? Because only as we receive can we do anything that will make a disciple. So Zacchaeus, i got to be at your house. Make haste, come down. I must stay at your house. Jesus is crying out. You think he died for nothing? He has such an incredible life for everyone in this room. I must stay at your house. 
You may be sitting there today. I don't feel. I feel a million miles away from God. I can't wait till the football game comes. I can't wait till I have my lunch because you're going to ask me to fast this week. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, "I must be in your house. I must be in your heart. I love you. I know what you've gone through." I know what you've carried, but I must come and spend time with you. I must become the biggest priority in your life. I have a plan for you that is so much bigger. Oh, I'm so old. I've already blown it. No! He restores. He renews. He refreshes. He gives back what the enemy has stolen. He gives back what religion has stolen from us. He gives back what experience have told us. No, this is the way church is. This is the way God is. This is the way people are. No, He changes people. He changes experiences. He changes us. Luke 19.9 And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today, today, now, in this moment, salvation has come to this house. Let's just stop and pray a minute. Pray about your house. Pray about people that you, that, that you have a heart for. And let's just lift them to God. Lord, we just pray about our individual houses right now. And all of us know things about our family, our loved ones, our, our friends that we love, people that aren't living in this city, And Lord, these are part of our house. And we lift them to you. And we say, Lord, move on their hearts today. Move past their experiences, past their thinking, past every distraction. Holy Spirit, reach out because there's no barriers and no limitations. You can cut right through everything right now in this moment and touch them. Lord, we pray for our house, that you would save our house, save our children. God, save them out of everything they're going through, every distraction, everything the enemy's trying to do to separate them from the call to be a follower of you, to be a disciple of you. God, move on our hearts in this moment, Lord. We stand over our household. Lord, each one of us represents a household, Lord, that you want to bring salvation to. And Lord, we're trusting you to do that work in Jesus' name. Time in God's household. Genesis 8, 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. That was, there's key time in the ark. You know, a lot of times, people accept Jesus, and then they're gone. If you look at the pattern of the early church, if you look at the pattern of the disciples, the pattern was having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The pattern was the disciples, the apostles, were to go and start churches. What are they for? Why would he have to start churches if all you need is receive Jesus and go off and do your own? It's the ark. It's the place where you grow spiritually. It's a place where you know how to have right relationships. It's a place where you know how to, know how to forgive. It's a place you get free from habits and hurts and things that happen. David himself learned. His, his, one of the Psalms says, I was wounded in the house of my brethren. That means you're going to get hurt in this house. You're going to have wounds and the Satan's going to use it to either drive you out of the house of God or you're going to learn how to mend and have restored relationships and be the person. You cannot be an independent Christian. I don't care how powerful your ministry is. You cannot have a ministry unless you're connected to the body. Jesus died for his body. He's coming back for a bride. There's spiritual authority. If you read Romans 13.1, it talks about godly authority. Even the police who sometimes maybe aren't righteous, God has established them. There's authority. There's authority on our jobs. There's authority 
at the stoplight, when you go to the grocery store, there's authority everywhere. Why is it we receive Jesus Christ and I don't need any authority. I don't need to be under anybody. I don't need to be around anybody. I'm on my own. It's just me and Jesus. That is a lie from the pit. And if you believe that, you better get the scissors out and start cutting passages out of your Bible. Because the whole New Testament is about the body of Christ building up with the church. Ephesians 4. That's part of my passion. Because I see people being ripped off. I see the great work of the gospel being ripped off because people want to do it on their own and they don't want to submit to anyone. And they're missing out on the call of God. You look at David's life. His life was developed out of submission to an unrighteous leader. And he had every reason to throw in the towel and say, God, I'm going to do it on my own. But he had learned about submission. He had learned about being under the authority of God. And God tested him if he was going to kill Saul. But he learned authority because he knew that God had called Saul. And even though Saul went off, went off to the left, went haywire big time, took authority on his own self and separated himself from God, he knew that that was God's authority and he knew God had to take him out. And when that last time he had the opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't, God established the authority that David could be trusted because he respected authority, he submitted to authority, and he stayed under authority. That's what the local church represents. It's not always easy being in church. I've been in church my whole life. Did I always like being under my pastor or did I always like the things that were going on? No, I didn't. Why? Because we're all broken people. We're all independent. Why do you think the apostles went through what they went through? Because everything is against unity. Everything's against the love of God, restoring relationships, having forgiveness, learning how to work together. We're members of the body of Christ. Again, we said this many times. I didn't come here to church. I didn't walk to church today and left my feet at home. Everyone is valid. Everyone is needed. Everyone's important. Everyone has value and purpose. But unless we learn how to work together, it's, our gifts are not going to be anything. And we're never going to find our fullness and the purpose that God calls us to. Amen. Amen. And Noah went forth and his wife and his sons and their wives with them after being in the ark one year and ten days. I was at Christian community a number of years from my life and met with my pastor and I, I left for one year to be at Mobile Ministries and I got married. But it was after a short, after that one year time, I realized I wasn't ready for ministry. I was, I was just over my head. And so me and Dory made a decision. We, we need to go back under and submit under an authority. And we knew it was supposed to be Ernest Gentile, Christian Community Church. And so we returned there you know, and submitted back under and just grew. And I know when God started dealing with me the last four years that, that I wasn't supposed to be there anymore, that he wanted to send me out. And I had enough prophetic confirmation that God wanted me to, to, to be a pastor. I didn't, I didn't act on it. For four years I waited. God would tell me, I don't want you working here anymore. But I waited. I waited. Why? Because I trusted my spiritual authority that at the right time they were going to send me out. And at the right time, they did. And God confirmed where I was to come. That when I crossed the bridge, when I crossed the railroad tracks down here on 25, God said, this is your place. I started crying because I told Dory, God just said, this is your place. Noah, they stayed in the house. That must have been pretty boring. Can you imagine smelling all those animals for over a year? <laughs> and sometimes we smell with each other. Sometimes our personalities, our temperaments, we smell because we're all in process and it takes time for God to work out what he wants. And we don't always like where each other are at. 
me and Dory, sometimes we get really disappointed sometimes because we want, we, we see such a, a need for leaders and we have such a lack that sometimes we get irritated with our leaders because maybe they're not growing fast enough. But it makes us look to God. I can't control how fast someone's growing in their discipleship or growing in their leadership. I have to keep trusting God that His grace is working in their life. The fact that they're still here tells me God's working. The work of trusting God. It's, it's a hairy thing, being a disciple and following Jesus. I tell you, you want to just roll over. I felt like a dog last week that was tired out and rolled over and I was panting. <laughs> so the ark was an Old, Testament, an Old Testament example of spiritual development in God's house. In the New Testament, here's some, some, some scriptures that can just encourage you about what God does in the process of you being the disciple that's being readied. Ephesians 3.17 talks about being rooted and grounded in Christ. That's going to happen in the body. Yes, you can get from Jesus, but there's something that happens in the interaction with other people. I mean, a lot of the work happened to me even when I was ordained. When I was in close fellowship and relationship as an ordained elder, God started working on my on my personality things, on the character things that I had going on. My, my, uh, because of my struggle in, in, in struggling with depression in my life, my tendency to be introverted and to keep away from people because I, I didn't want people to see how I struggled inside with people. But God began to pour me, you know, pour me into other people's lives and allow them to pour into my life. And they saw my dysfunction and they saw my relational problems and, and they loved me. That's what changed me, the work of God that goes on with people. And I tell you, it's easier for me because I connect with God. Let's just go do it, Jesus. But he's doing a work in his body. That's why he uses people. That's why he uses you and he will use you. That's why you're going to be irritation sometimes. And sometimes you're going to be a pleasant breath of fresh air. You can be one one day and one the next. But it's just how God works. It talks about being established in the faith in Colossians 2.7. It talks about until Christ is formed in you. Oh my, Christ has to be formed in me. Yes, there's a work. Our five senses, our mind, will, and emotion are in contradiction to what's going on in our spiritual life. And so there's a work that's going on deep in our spirit to be conformed into his image. It's a precious work that he's doing. Jesus is always inviting people to follow him. You know, in uh, being a disciple, Paul urged the Corinthian church, the Galatian church, to become like him. Wow. Go to jail all the time? Get beat up? No. Follow Jesus. Just like sometimes, again, the enemy will have us look at someone's life and think like, I don't want to have to go through that. I don't want to be like that. No. Even when Jesus dealt with Peter and reconciled him, and Peter wanted to know what John was going to do, he said, you don't worry about Peter. You follow me. Each one of us is individual. Don't let fear keep you from thinking that if I follow God, he's going to have something so horrendous for me. No, in fact, he knows what you've been designed for and you will have the greatest fulfillment and purpose as you follow him. Probably gone as far as I should go. Uh, Maybe our worship team could come up. Have you guys ever traced anything? If you, if you, no more counterfeiting. If he just talks about 
you know, being renewed in our mind, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and that God's doing this work in us of, of tr- making us into the image of Christ. And um, Adam Clark makes this, uh, this reference to what God's doing in our heart to tracing. And I know when you trace, you know, you, you, you draw it out. For me, every so often I like to make little miniatures like matchbox-sized vehicles. And so my teacher from Woodshop said, if you can draw it, anything you can draw, you can build. And so if I can get this thing drawn out, I can begin to make it. And when I think of what um, God's doing in our heart, he's tracing over the image of what he's doing in our lives. And sometimes you feel the cutting of what he wants to do, and it's very painful. But he's trying to conform us and make us into the image. Will you stand?